0: don't have time this morning to explain all the nuances but just to list some of them think about the death of jesus we're told in romans 6 23 that the wages of sin is death that's what we deserve that there's no one good no not one that all of us deserve punishment from god because he is good we see his justice in Jeremiah 32 verse 17. We see that God's wrath is to be feared because God promises eternal punishment apart from Christ. Matthew 25 verse 20, 46. And we see it's good news. John 3:16 verse uh, John 3:16 through 18 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die is the good news that the world ends up having to offer us, but the good news that we have, that we proclaim to the world, is that the living God has acted in history at a point in time 2,000 years ago to pay for your sins, that what you earned for yourself, the wages of sin being death in this life and also in that which is to come in hell, is not something that you have to endure, but that if you believe and trust in him, Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the living God, he will save you. Paul's priority was to preach the gospel, the good news. And the good news had specific content. It was defined for us, defined as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's going on then with all that other stuff? That he was buried, verse 4, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, that he appeared then to Cephas and then to a bunch of other people. Why, is, why am I not summarizing the good news as Jesus' death, burial, rising from the grave and appearing to people? It's because, the, it's because the very function of what the burial is. It's the function of what the appearances are these are the supporting details. How do you know that Jesus really died as a historical fact that this happened in history? It was because he was actually buried, that he remained in the grave for three days. How do you know that he really did rise from the grave, that he actually has the power to save people? It's because he appeared. This didn't happen in some back alley. The good news of Christianity isn't some Gnostic secret knowledge that I'm letting you in on. This was a public event. This happened in history. This happened 2,000 years ago under the reign of Augustus Caesar, who was a real emperor in Rome, in the land of Palestine, in Jerusalem. This is real. And we know this, and he lists out all the different people who Jesus appeared to, to Peter... To the 12 disciples, to 500 people at once, he appeared to James and he appeared to this person who's speaking to them. But you know what's even more foundational than that? What's more foundational to that is that it happened in accordance with the scriptures. Did you notice that? I, that was another thing that I left out. That he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. When Anthony was reading Psalm 22, could you not help yourself from seeing Jesus Christ in that passage? Could you not help but seeing that he's, this is Jesus singing this? What were Jesus' last words on the cross? My God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alluding to Psalm 22. He was saying that this psalm was a psalm proclaiming and prophesying his death. David wrote that psalm way before Jesus, about a thousand years before Jesus was on the scene. When was his hands pierced? When was his feet pierced? When was he put up and openly mocked and laid up and encircled by dogs, by Gentiles? David was not prophesying, was not talking about himself. He was talking about his son. And even that psalm does not end hopeless. But that psalm when Anthony was reading, did you notice that he says that a reason for his people to trust in God and turn back to him is that He did not forget and did not shun the cry for help in the midst of his affliction. How was Jesus's cry for help not shunned? How do you know that God, when you call out to him for forgiveness, when you say, yes, Lord, I trust and will follow him, how do you know God has forgiven you? You have proof of it. He did not shun Jesus's cry for help, but raised him from the dead. How much more will he not do a lesser work in your life, forgiving you? This is something that is recognized throughout the New Testament, something that the apostles did not recognize at first. John chapter 20, verse 9, the disciples are running to the empty tomb, and they're really confused about what's going on. Why is is the tomb open? Where's his body? And it says, in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 says, concerning this salvation, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, searching out the Old Testament. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted, what did he predict? The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The death and resurrection. Acts 26 is where Paul was talking to Agrippa. And and when Paul is talking to Agrippa and he's standing on trial, he says, I stand here testifying both to small and great basically to little people and big people, to the least of the people, to the kings of the world. I testify, both the small and the great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The death and resurrection of Jesus is something that, yes, happened in history. But why did it happen in history? Why did these events unfold the way they did? It happened because this was God's will. This was God's plan. When we call people to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not calling people to do something to save themselves. Listen to how 1 Corinthians... Chapter 1, verses 26 describes our salvation. It says, For to consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What's the effect of all this? What's the effect of knowing that as Christians who belong to a church, that the church's fundamental mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified? What sort of effect does it have that we know this message is true because it happened in history? It really happened, and it happened according to God's plan that he planned out before the foundations of the world ever took shape. What sort of effect does it have on us? It should have the effect of giving us courage, giving us firmness, in our convictions. It's really helpful to know that while we do live in difficult difficult times, while we live in a world that seemingly has rejected the supernatural message that we can have our sins forgiven, that we don't live in unique times in that sense. I've been reading uh, Machen's biography, J. Gresham Machen's biography, and if you haven't read it, it's by Ned Stonehouse, and it's a memoir, and it's really encouraging to keep the main things the main things. And when he was talking to an incoming class of seminarians in 1912, he was looking at the world around him, and he was seeing how all the world had seemingly rejected the supernatural message of Christianity as something that is passe to modern man. Listen to what he says to encourage them. The situation is desperate. It might discourage us, but not if we are truly Christians. Why is that? Not if we are living in vital communion with the risen Lord If we are really convinced of the truth of our message, then we can proclaim it before a world of enemies. Then the very difficulty of our task, the very scarcity of our allies becomes an inspiration. Then we can even rejoice that God did not place us in an easy age, but in a time of doubt and perplexity and battle. Then too, we shall not be afraid to call forth other soldiers into the conflict. I've conceived of this message, and I hope that you've heard it as a charge. To keep the main things, the main things. It's so easy to get derailed, to look at other good news that the world's offering us, and to buy into it. Buy into a message of good news that God wants us to be happy and and healthy. Buy into the good news that maybe God doesn't exist and we can just live our lives however we please, living our lives after our own comfort and pleasure. That's not good news. Whatever good news this world offers us, the thing that distinguishes the church and what makes our being so unique is we have a unique message. The world offers temporary solutions to temporary problems. We have grounded our hope in an eternal solution to our eternal problems. That's why we exist. That's why the Old Testament was even written. It focuses and trains in, it, it focuses upon Jesus Christ Christ in him crucified. That's the summary of our message. And we don't have to fortunately have this either-or situation. Can we be, should we be about good works? Should we be about seeing babies not killed in the womb? Or should we be focused on this message, the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation, forgiveness in Him? This is where Harry Reader's quote is really helps at least my understanding i I hope it helps you the mission of the church is narrow our mission at evergreen needs to be the priority of preaching the good news but the mission of the individual is broad our mission as individuals who are transformed by this power of the gospel transformed by the living god who have had our sins forgiven is to go out in the world and yes, be kind, yes, be winsome, but be winsome with a purpose. First and foremost, our priority needs to be about winning people to Jesus Christ. If we simply change laws, even as individuals, if our our goal is to change laws in our land, but we let people die in their sins, they Their eternal destiny is still hell. Evergreen, let's keep our priorities where scripture would have us keep them. As a church, on proclaiming the gospel, a gospel with very clear content the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that message has been confirmed. We tell people about it because we need to be convinced that it is true. And if you're not convinced, let's be honest with ourselves. If that's the reason why you don't proclaim it, and that's why your life is not defined by the priority of proclaiming the good news of God to people, be honest with yourself and be honest with your family. Be honest with everyone. And let us, give us the opportunity to tell you why it is true, why it's convincing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have not left us lost, that you have not left us without an idea of what we're supposed to be doing with our lives as people who have been forgiven, that if we are lost and we have not put our trust in Christ, that we have clearly laid out in Scripture what God's will for our life is to be, First and foremost, God's will for our life is that we would trust in Christ, that he would be our Savior, that we would know him as our Savior who died for our sins in particular. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we trust in you and we see the greatness of your power towards us, we believe that that greatness of power being demonstrated in our own lives that we would see the value of it and the truthfulness of it so clearly in our own minds that we would share it with others. Oh, Lord, convince us of these things. May your Holy Spirit give us eyes to see and ears to hear the goodness of our Savior, his kindness towards us and the salvation that's offered in him. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray Amen.